We have been speaking for the last few weeks about this thing that I've called the file. Romans 3, 21 to 26. It's that sweet center, the core. It's dense. It's packed with information that is uh, just delightful to our spirits because it is the very core, the very nugget of the Gospel. And that's where we have been. And now, as we move towards the end of the chapter, we're going to transition from that filet in verses 21 to 26 to by the time we get done with chapter 5, which is this next section that we have called God's Got Grace in response to the fact that everybody's got stuff. God's Got Grace. We are going to move through some of the most sublime and wonderful and deep theology that you will find anywhere in your Bible. We're going to have to work our way through it. And moving from this thing we call the file with all of that depth to it, and knowing that we're going to be coming to this stuff that is, that is also deep and wonderful, and it's explaining more what he said in those few verses that we were just looking at. It's kind of interesting that Paul, as he steps away before getting to the other stuff, the end of chapter 3, he makes an observation on bragging rights. Bragging rights? It's almost an aside. In fact, if I was trying to name every one of these messages individually, that's what I would have called this. I'd have called this almost an aside. And he just kind of throws it out there and then goes on into chapter 4. And he could have gone directly into chapter 4 and we would have not thought anything was missing. We wouldn't have been looking for something. But let's remind ourselves how we got here. I do these reminders because he is moving along with a thought. And if we just jump in, we, gotta, we might not remember where were we in this thought. So it's just this little brief update. In Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By the way, that concept of Jew and Greek is playing itself out throughout this book. For in it, the righteousness of God, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that question of righteousness and faith is also something that is being explained to us and laid open for us. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So that's where Paul said uh, he's coming from in describing the gospel in that way. And when we got to that thing we called the file, verses 21 to 26, I don't know if you noticed it. I don't recall if we recounted it. But remember the whole righteousness and faith thing I just mentioned? Four times in those verses, the question of righteousness, the word righteousness is used. Three times the word faith, and once the word believe, which of course is a cognitive faith. So that is what it's all focused about, a righteousness of faith. So having laid it all out, you'll recall he said the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. That was verse 21. And then he finished with that magnificent statement that he, God, may be just that is righteous, and the justifier, make righteous, that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And there was all that incredible stuff that was packed in between those two things. And then Paul goes on to ask this. Our text for today, Romans 3.27. And he says, Where is boasting then? What? Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No but by the law of faith. 
Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So he's just gotten done making this incredible statement about God's work at the cross and how God is the just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. And he says, where is boasting then? What? Why did you go there? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Will you notice, first of all, because we've mentioned this before, I just want you to see it again. I wasn't lying to you that Paul's discussion in the book of Romans is forwarded often by he raises a question and then answers the question. And that's how we follow his thinking. Where is boasting then? Boasting. It's expressing a high degree of self-confidence. Last week, we talked about three men who had been in the news who we could take the, the, the measurement of them. But I've got three other men that we have known of. And here's where we see the boasting happening. We see the boasting happening when men run for the presidency. When they gain the presidency. Do you guys recall that when Barack Obama became president, he said... This is the time when you're going to be able to tell your children that the seas quit rising. Really? You have that kind of power in this presidency that you determine the depth of the seas? Amazing! Donald Trump. There's going to be so much winning, you're going to get tired of winning. Really? That good, huh? And the man who has presently been inaugurated into the office, when he went to meet with some of the leaders in Europe, and there's the videotape of him arriving into their presence and saying, greeting them and saying, guys, America is back. What arrogance. What pride. What high degree of self-confidence are any of them expressing at that point. Where is boasting then? Where do we come up with a high degree of self-confidence? He answers the question. It is excluded. Boom. It's excluded. The word literally carries this idea of, first of all, the root is to shut up to close it in, to prevent it from being anywhere else, and then shut up from, which means you close it in, you identify it, you keep it here, and you keep it away from where you are. It's shut up from. It's kept away from where we're at. Boasting. There's no place for it. It's shut up from us. And then he asks the question, another question, by what law? Now, the one thing that I want us to notice here, friends, is this is a great example of sometimes why, as you move through the Scripture, as you're studying and reading for yourself, you're trying to understand, this is a great example of one of the things we run into, and that is that words 
can have more than one meaning. So here, he's been talking about, you know, without law, righteousness. We saw that back in verse 21. And now he says, by what law? Is he talking about that kind of a law? I don't think so. He's talking about by what principle? We'll call it a principle instead. You might say, hey, you're just fast-talking us now. No, I'm not fast-talking you. Let me give you an example of words that have a lot of meaning. One word that can have a lot of different meanings. So, the other day... <clears throat> I was, uh, I was working down in the basement, and my wife said, Hey, Gare, we ran out of cinnamon. I need you to go to, the sto- to run to the store and get me some. So I, so I ran to the store. In my car, I ran to the store. And when I got there, I could see there was a line of people outside the bank, and it looked like there was a run on the bank. And my friend... Randy Dahl was running by because he was uh, he's preparing for another another race, and he stopped. We visited for a minute and said, "Yeah, it looks like there's a run on the bank. How's your running going, by the way?" And immediately you can see uh, just the word "run" has so many different meanings and variations to it. That's what's happening right here with law, and it's used in two different ways, even in the verses that we're using. So we have to. We have to be open to that and understand, okay, what exactly is he getting at here? It's excluded. By what law? Is there a law written? Is there something on the books that says, yeah, you can't do that? No, that's not what it is. It's a principle. It's a principle. Is it a law of works, a principle of works? Absolutely not. That's not what excludes it. In fact, if we were working with a principle of works, which is how we became justified, which the previous section said clearly it's not, If we were working on that kind of a principle, we would have a place to boast. So no, that can't be it. It's not a matter of of something of works. No, it's by a law of faith, a principle of faith. Because that's where we are made righteous. Remember, faith in Jesus Christ. We emphasized that a couple weeks ago, time and time again. And so he then takes this. First thing that he says in this little aside Right? When he says, where's boasting? He's saying effectively, our bragging rights left. (laughs) Our bragging rights left. When Christ came in. When we put our faith in Him, those previous verses, when we put our faith in Him, our bragging rights left. When Christ came in by faith. Therefore, verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Remember, without law righteousness. It's faith. Faith in what God has set forth in that propitiation, in that, in that place of forgiveness provided by Christ's uh, blood, which He purchased and paid the ransom price for our sin. And we acquire that. We step into it. We get it working on our behalf by faith, recognizing that He is our only hope. What He has done is our only hope. And so we put our faith in Him. Notice He says in verse 28, therefore. Whenever you see therefore in the Bible, what do you do? You ask, what's it there for? I ask it specifically of this text because I'm thinking, I don't think that's the best word right now. I think they should have used wherefore. 
as a reminder, because he's not concluding something, therefore, he's, he's reminding us of that principle of faith, that it is foundational. Therefore, we conclude. That word conclude is in such a tense that it says we are concluding. And, and effectively, within those few words, what he's saying is, guys, don't forget. Here's where we are understanding what God is revealing in the gospel. This is what we are understanding. This is the conclusion that we have and that we are holding to. So it becomes the bedrock of this entire understanding of the gospel and that justification, being declared righteous, is by faith in what Christ has done. That's bedrock. He says, don't forget, guys. This is where we stand. This is solid ground that we're on. So where's boasting? It's out of there. Our bragging rights left when Christ came in. By what principle? By a principle of works? Is that where we're, how it relates to our, us? No. By the principle of faith. Because when we put our faith in Christ as we are concluding, it's the only way to be justified. Apart from our works of the law, then we are made righteous. That's bedrock. Justification is by faith. Part of the reason I took you back to those opening verses about the gospel. For it's the righteousness revealed from faith to faith. I said righteousness and faith are going to play a huge role in this. Righteousness that comes by faith. So we saw last week, at least in, in a seed form, that we can't establish our own righteousness before God. We cannot do anything to that God would say, hey, you finally got it right. Now we can be in good relationship with each other. Nope. All we have is to claim Jesus Christ by faith. So, in these few verses that we're looking at today and next week, Paul is transitioning from what we've called the phile, that sweet center, that sweet nugget, to some of the most exalted, sublime theology in the entire Bible. I've already said that. And he begins with an observation on bragging rights. Where's boasting? What? Why are you slipping that in there, Paul? Why are you raising that question? He's not going to deal with it at great length, but he puts it in, he makes his observation, and then he'll go on. Why? I think it merits the question why, and I think it's a very simple answer. Perhaps God wants us to take seriously that our bragging rights left when Christ came in. He wants us to get this. We have no place to maintain our bragging rights about how great we are, how righteous we are, how good we are, how our sin isn't as bad as somebody else's sin. It all goes. It all goes. No room for any of it. Our bragging rights left when Christ came in. Now why does he want us to have a handle on that so good? Well, you see there's a dynamic conflict between the two. Between us bragging rights, that's self-confidence, right? That's boasting. I do pretty good in this whole world of, of being righteous and moral and upstanding. I do pretty good. As opposed to Savior confidence. <laughs> I'm hopelessly lost and Jesus Christ is all I've got. And all I can do is cling to Him by faith. Because He is that place of forgiveness. 
He is the place where righteousness is given to me, His righteousness, because mine amounts to nothing. But self-confidence and Savior confidence can't live within us at the same time. Savior confidence excludes self-confidence. Gotta go. Our bragging rights left when Christ came in. Now Paul gives us an example of the thinking that is here and why it's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this won't come up, so just listen. It won't come up on the screen. And he's not speaking specifically here about the question of righteousness, but it's there. The question of boasting is there. And in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, see, because he is a guy who's had this incredible ministry where God has revealed this gospel we're studying, God revealed it to Paul. So that could kind of play with a guy's mind, right? It could kind of get you there like, dude, I'm somebody. I am really somebody important. So lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He's got some physical ailment. Uh, some think it might be his eyes. We're not told. But there's some physical ailment that oppresses him. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times he brought it before the Lord. I, I, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. And he, the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul concludes, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. Notice there's that word boast. I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you see how his, his own strength And Christ's strength are not going to work at the same time. He's got to get out of his own strength that I can do this, I can handle this. And he's got to allow Christ's strength to come now, sustain him, and it keeps him dependent upon Christ. I'd like to suggest the possibility that relative to our question of righteousness, the same thing is happening. When we are boasting of our own righteousness, thinking we're all that great, Christ's righteousness is not working on our behalf. They can't be there together. Got a little, uh, a little something to show us. If we could bring that up on the, uh, on the screen. Okay, two things that can't be in the same place. Uh, you guys have all seen these. There we are. I uh, drove all the way to Thief River Falls to get a picture of this for you guys yesterday. You all know what it is. Anybody know where it's at? Holiday. Yeah, somebody said holiday. Yeah, holiday. Exactly. That's why we go to holidays. Because they have single-use bathrooms and they have good locks on them that tell you if somebody's in there or not. All right? That's a great reason to go to holiday. Anyway. Oh, here we are. It's still there. It's still there, right? There it is. In this particular case, you know there's nothing happening inside. It's empty in there. There's nothing, of, there's nothing in there. And then we can see when it's in the other position. It's in use. Something is in there. 
Something's going on in there. Felt a little weird taking these pictures, but I got in, got out quick. But here's the point. If you've been in that holiday bathroom, you know the only way that that switches is when you're on the inside, you turn that little dial. It cannot show both of them at the same time. They cannot both be going on at the same time. It can't be vacant and in use at the same time. And that's what Paul's saying about us in whether we have self-confidence or savior confidence. It can't be going at the same time. We can't be sitting, we can't be here on a Sunday morning proclaiming our faith in Jesus Christ, how much we love him and worshiping him with these great songs, and these people are here to lead us into his presence, who are proclaiming Christ is my only one and I have nothing else. And then the next day we're acting like, boy, I'm really good. Forget it. They can't go together. Our bragging rights left when Christ came in. So what I'm hoping we will do that we'll take from this, because I put a lot of effort into that PowerPoint. I'd like for us to think in terms of, you know, a number of you here, you have pacemakers in. And sometimes you can even tell where that pacemaker is under the skin. Or you think of this Dexcom thing that they advertise that they can tell, it'll tell you what your, uh, what your glucose is or your blood sugar level so you don't have to poke your finger anymore. Yeah, they're attached right to you. Well, I'd like us to be thinking about us as wearing one of these little indicators from the bathroom. And we need to ask, look at it every so often and say, what's showing? Is there something showing that it's vacant in here or it's in use? And if it's in use, that means Christ's righteousness is what I'm boasting on, is what I'm trusting in, is what I am holding to as my own. My own. But when it begins to show that it's vacant, it's as if it's like, oh, I pushed Christ back out, and now there's nothing in here other than my own righteousness, which is useless. So it's empty righteousness. There's nothing there. So each one of us, you know, you've got to be on the inside in order to turn that little dial. So every so often, each one of us ought to look down and say, where's that dial at right now? As the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about something where we're getting a little arrogant, a little proud, a little something that says, you know, I really am better than the next person. And we ought to look down and see that. And if we notice that, oh, mine's showing green here. It's empty. I got no righteousness whatsoever. From the inside, I turn that dial and I say, Lord, Jesus Christ alone is my only hope. I got a little out of whack here. I kind of pushed him aside, but I know he can't be in here while I'm trying to have my own self-confidence. I can't have Christ's confidence at the same time. So Lord, I'm turning the dial and I'm pushing myself back out of this place and letting him be present in me because that's all that I've got. So, from here, we're all going to wear this own in our minds. We're all now going to wear one of those little things every time you walk by one. Let it be a reminder to you. Hmm. Whose confidence am I clinging to? My self-confidence, my righteousness, or Savior confidence, Christ's righteousness? That tells us where we're at. So there we are, this little aside this little, where's boasting? It's excluded. No room for it. Can't be in. It can't be in there. Well, I'm trusting Christ. I can't be trusting myself. 
It cannot happen. As soon as you flip that dial, it's got to be one place or another. It can't be both. So why does it matter? Why does Paul give us this little aside before moving into these wonderful things that we're going to be reading about in just a few weeks? Well, I'd like to throw this out. You guys think on this? If I am confident in my own righteousness, I will have no need for Christ and His righteousness. Just like Paul said about his strength. Right? When I am weak, then I'm strong. When I am weak, then God's strength will work on my behalf. But if I'm strong in myself, I don't need God's strength. If I'm righteous on my own, I don't need Christ's righteousness. If I have no need for Christ's righteousness, I will have no love for Christ. We love Him because He first loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, John says. Our love is a response to His. And if I don't need His, what He's done for me, why will I love Him? I will have no desire to worship Christ. You see, friends, there's a lot of things in life I don't understand. Most things in life I don't understand. I can't explain them, but there is one thing I do understand. There is always a reason to gather for worship. Always a reason to gather for worship. And it's right here. Because Christ, by faith, is the very ground of our redemption, of our righteousness, of our being in relationship with the Father. What Christ has done always gives me reason to worship. So I don't need to come up with anything. Well, how can I convince myself to be in church on a Sunday morning? I don't have to convince myself of that. God has provided His Son as that propitiation, that place of forgiveness. And I always have reason to worship Him. Because if I don't have that as a reason, it says, oh, I'm doing it myself. <laughs> Good luck with that. Turn that little dial. Oh, yeah, i got to turn that dial back. Christ is my reason. If I'm confident in my own righteousness, I'll have no desire to separate from the world. I'll just go along with them. You know, the Scriptures call us to holiness. Paul, in Galatians, deals with this topic again. <clears throat> he deals with it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, and he's describing those who, who want to have their righteousness by the law, even though they don't keep it, but that's where they're living. And that's a self-righteousness that they're confident in. But then he says in verse 14, he says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm working on a different system, he says. The world has its own system by which it proclaims its goodness and its self-righteousness and and those caught up in the Jewish system who are not willing to see how God has fulfilled something in Jesus Christ, they're caught up in that of my goodness, my goodness, my righteousness. And Paul says, I'm working on a different perspective. I'm, I'm crucified to that. I'm dead to all of that. And Christ alone is the one for whom I will boast. Because He alone has given me the righteousness that matters. So I'll have no desire to separate from the world. Because I got it. I'm doing it myself. I'm good. I'm good, thank you. And lastly, I'll have no desire to glorify Christ. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, and this is a passage you're all so very familiar with, Paul is describing how God has made us alive in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7 of chapter 2, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That redemptive work that God is doing in each of us in the ages to come will be bringing glory to God. He will be exalted. Each of us will proclaim Him and exalt Him because of what He did in us. That is going to happen one day. And we're going to see then that it was exceeding riches in grace. It wasn't just some little thing. Well, yeah, he, he helped us out a little. Oh, no. No, His grace was lavished upon us in kindness in His redemptive work through Jesus Christ as described in that philae. And then He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Our salvation is the gift of God not of works, the without law righteousness, right? Where we're, we're being good enough. Not of works, why lest anyone should boast. This topic of boasting, the reason I've taken you there, shows up in a few other places as Paul is making a firm stand about the gospel. And one of the things that keeps coming up is just this little thing. We have no place to boast if we are trusting Christ. The dial only shows red or green. It cannot show them both. And that's how that is. So friends, why? Why this little aside? Before he gets on and he plums the depth of magnificent theology, why this first, this one little thing? Where's boasting? Oh, by the way, that, yeah, that's been excluded. That's not there. It's so that we will deepen and understand and be more committed to and convicted of and aware of our need for Christ. That He alone receives the glory. That when this whole redemptive work, outworking that God is doing from the beginning of time until the end of time, this whole thing, when all is said and done, the glory will go only to God. And you and I are going to grab none of it for ourselves. None of it. It's laid out in such a way that your righteousness, the righteousness of the person sitting in front of you, behind you, on your left, on your right, the righteousness of the person who's standing up here talking behind the pulpit and continues flapping his gums, all amount to nothing. None of it is any good to make us right before the Father. The only righteousness that works is the righteousness that comes through what Christ did on the cross at Calvary. We have nothing else. Nothing else. And can we get it out of our mind? Can we get it? Because I thought, I remember one time when, when in hearing about this kind of thing for the first time, I remember thinking, Lord, Lord, I must, don't I have at least have 5% to give? Isn't it 5% of this whole salvation thing? My goodness, I got a little something, Lord. Tell me I got a little something. No, I got nothing. Nothing. That's not to beat us down. That's not to discourage us. That's just reality. That's the, that's the us whom God came to save in Jesus Christ. And we can let it go. We can let it go freely and just go, oh, that means I am totally free to... Exalt Christ without having to worry about figuring out where my own goodness is. 
because it's only in him. May God give us hearts that truly respond in love to that love that he has demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ. May he give us a confidence that says, he's my only hope. I'm going to keep that dial over here. I'm, going to, I'm not going to let it go back to vacant. I'm going to keep it in use. In use, I'm using the righteousness of Christ. That's what God's doing with me and keeping me where I need to be. And I, every time I see that dial shift and where I'm starting to get caught up in my own goodness, whoops, turn that dial back. Christ, come back in. I need you here. Yours is the righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that not only have you saved us in Jesus Christ, for those of us who have, by faith, uh, trusted in him and this magnificent forgiving work that he has done at his cross. But Father, you have given us this place of freedom that we can quit worrying about how we can be good enough and we can set that aside. We can recognize there's no room to boast, Lord. That was, our, our bragging rights left when Christ came in. May we hold to that dearly because there's freedom in it, Lord. There's hope and joy in it that Christ has done it. And that will increase our love for you. And that is my prayer for us this morning, Lord, that you will grow our love for you as we understand what Christ has done for us. I ask it in his precious name. Amen.